Well, since I uh, preached from Ecclesiastes this morning, guess what? I'm going to take a break tonight, and we're not going to Ecclesiastes. Oh, so we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 11, maybe 1 through 13. 1 Samuel 16. This is going to be a little different type of sermon, than uh, a little different than I usually do. It's going to be a sermon that will sound, it will be expositional, but then it will develop into a somewhat topical sermon where I use a person as a type of Christ. And we'll talk about this. Don't do this that much, but I'm going to do it tonight. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. When, but, Sam, but Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. The one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? They were afraid. Why are you here, you know? And he said, In peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Then it came about, when they entered, he looked at, Eliab and thought surely the Lord's anointed uh, is before us but the Lord said to Samuel do not look at his appearance or the height of his statue because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart then Jesse called Abinadab made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Now we talked about this morning. I'll just throw this in. Giving up, trying one thing after another and, and thinking that you're doing right and you're, you're doing God's will and maybe this is it, maybe that's it. And we've got to have courageous faith. Well, Samuel went on, trusting the Lord. You've, we've got to trust the Lord. We may fail in what we choose sometimes, but God will redirect us. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. That's what we're going to be looking at, tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, 
Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this time with these dear saints. Thank you for them coming out this afternoon, this evening. And I just pray that you take this time and, Lord, you be glorified. And I pray that you let your grace work as I've prayed this morning in a, in a mighty way. We want you to be glorified, God. We want you to be honored. We want you to draw us into your presence so that we can be touched in a very special way. And I know for this to happen, we've got to be uh, alert to you, uh, submissive to you, attentive to you. And Lord, we've got to heed what you say. And so I just pray that, that we'll allow this to happen, allow you to work in a mighty way in our hearts and our minds this evening. Encourage us, strengthen us, Lord. Direct us, instruct us, whatever it might be. We just want you to do your work and have the freedom to do your work in our lives this evening. For well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Context. God has rejected Saul as a king of the chosen people. And, and the reason being, he was out of God's will. He was disobedient to God. He had backslidden and had disobeyed the commands of God and, and had become a, a, a defective ruler if you will and the Lord came to Samuel in this chapter and he, he commanded him the prophet Samuel to, to go to the house of Jesse now he was directing him where to go first of all we see that Jesse was obedient uh, in, in his directions and he, uh, he knew that the Lord was leading him there but we know that he went through a series of people and looking at them different ways but he didn't get uh, discouraged in the sense that he sat back and he did nothing he continued on with the project that God had called him to do and so the Lord came to uh, Samuel in this chapter he commanded him to go to the house of Jesse and there he said that you'll find the future ruler of the people now Samuel was afraid though to go I mean there wasn't uh, it, this was not without difficulty just like with us we run into difficulty when we do God's will can it be done? Lord, do, you know, can I do it? What will happen? What will people say? This type of thing. Well, it was even worse uh, with uh, Samuel in the sense that Saul, if he found out, he knew that he could be killed because uh, Saul was that type of person. And he expressed the fear uh, of the king to the Lord. And Saul, uh, you know, we know that he had fits of temper. We know that David had play for him at times because uh, just to calm the, the, uh, uh, the temper down and the evil spirit down within uh, or with, upon Saul. And so the Lord informed his prophet that uh, he had nothing to fear. And this is a fear, you know, this is a faith, uh, the courageous faith that we need. And so he instructed him to go to Bethlehem where David was residing. Now, he didn't tell him who it was. And uh, to carry a sacrificial animal as though he were going to make an offering to the Lord in the city, which he did, uh, but it was for a purpose. And so uh, this is why when the prophet came, they said, oh, 
You know, is judgment come upon us? Have we done something? You know, all kind of things they start imagining. Why are you here? And so uh, Samuel obeyed, and when he arrived in the city, the elders questioned him because of that. Uh, you know, they wanted to know. They, they wanted to know what was going on to have this important person come there. And so the prophet assured them that he was there on a mission of peace and worship. And he invited the elders and family of uh, Jesse to attend the act of celebration to the Lord. That's what it was, celebration to the Lord. And so uh, after the sacrifice, Samuel began to uh, look at the sons of Jesse, it says, and determining the will of God with reference to the, who the next king of Israel would be. But it's interesting, even this prophet, how he looked for the next king, isn't it? I mean, this is what got Israel in, into problem uh, or difficulty the first time with Saul, wasn't it? They looked at the outward man instead of the inward man. And so uh, after the sacrifice, Samuel began to look at the different sons of Jesse to find the will of God. And the old prophet was very impressed with the first one, Eliab. And uh, as he uh, looked at him, he said, man, this guy's got to be it. Why? Because look at his outward appearance. He's tall. He's handsome. His voice probably carried. You know how these big, tall people do. May have spoken like, uh, uh, you know, the, the preacher uh, up in, at Bellevue for so many years. Uh, Adrian Rogers. I mean, he had one of the greatest and best sounding voices around. I heard one preacher say, boy, if I could imagine how God spoke, it probably was with that kind of voice, you know. And so so uh, he probably had a good voice. But Samuel was convinced that this was God's choice. Why? Because of the outward appearance. But God reprimanded the, the messenger for spiritual, uh, uh, you know, spiritually judging him the wrong, or judging him the wrong way and not for his spiritual worth and and, on, and he just judged on the uh, basis of external features, if you will. And uh, so uh, we see in verse 7 that uh, uh, he even said, man looks on the outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. And so God looked at the inner beauty there. And uh, often, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but we get into the habit of doing the same thing. Look at that person's talent. Look at the outward things. Look at the, all the talents. All these kind of stuff, all these kind of things, and we don't look at the person's inner being. We're just looking at the tip of the iceberg uh, by what we see on, on the outside. And so God told Samuel that the tall, dark, handsome uh, uh, person was not it, the first choice. And so the prophet insisted that Jesse show him the rest of the boys. Abinadab, surely he would be it. Next. How about Shema? And all the other sons that passed by, but none of them were the ones. And so uh, he says, you have shown them all to me. Jesse said, you know, is there, but he says, is there anyone else? It's not any of these. God hasn't spoken to me about any of these. He's rejected all of these. And he says, well, I do have a young boy. He's uh, on the back 40. He's tending sheep. And, uh, you know, this um, medial, I guess, uh, un 
important job, so to speak. You know, he's, he's out there. That's why I've got him. He's a young guy, and he's, you know, he's out there getting his training, and so to do other things and to lead later. And, so, and that's exactly what he was doing. God was training him as this. And, and so uh, he said to Jesse, I do not want to miss a single one. I do not care if he's young, in other words, and, and uh, you've given him the insignificant task of, of uh, tending the sheep. Run and get him, in other words, for he will not sit down until he comes. In other words, he was telling him, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not through. I'm not going to leave. God has called me here, and I'm not going to get up. And so uh, they sent for David, and David walked in, and he was uh, in his attire uh, as a shepherd. But, uh, you know, he, he was handsome, ruddy-looking, but handsome on the outside somewhat. But on the inside, you couldn't beat it because he was a man. He had the heart for the job. And so God said to Samuel, there is my man. Get the oil and anoint him king of Israel. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And God equipped him for the task of ruling the chosen people. And then we know the rest of the story. Now that's the context of it. That's the gist of it. And I would say probably the theme from it, one of the themes that you would get from that is God doesn't look and judge man by his outward appearance, but by his inward. And we so often miss because we judge by the outward appearance. So we see that with that, though, there are a couple of things about David. A lot of times God used people of the Old Testament to be types for Christ, right? And David was one of them. Moses, other, you know, other people. But we see that especially David, he was used as a type for Christ. And we're going to look at that. David was a shepherd. Two things. He was a shepherd who became what? King. Those two things. So first of all, let's look at him, him being a shepherd. Uh, it says, you know, even in the Old Testament, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And in our present dispensation, Jesus is the shepherd, our shepherd. And we as members of his flock, we need to realize that. We're not the ones in control. We're not the one carrying it for the whole flock, even though we may be used to help in it. Jesus is the one who is the ultimate shepherd. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? And, you know, they started replying and they said, well, some say that you're Jeremiah, who was he a prophet one. Some say that you were Elijah, another one. Some say that you were John the Baptist. Well, another one, right? Old Testament prophet. And then others say that you're other prophets. In other words, you were prophets. But who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter says, you know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And 
Though men had various names and opinions about him, Jesus called himself a shepherd. In John 10, 11, he said, I am what? The good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And in that verse, he described his life and death. When he said that he was good, this indicated his perfect life. He came and he lived a perfect life, willing to die for our sins. And it talked about the incarnation. And then he said that he would give his life for his sheep. He was giving us a glimpse of the beautiful atoning death. Now Jesus, what kind of shepherd was he? We've got to understand that he was a living shepherd. In other words, he didn't just come into existence when he came, did he? He had been from eternity past. He has been, always been around. He was with the Father even at creation. He made repeated visits on the earth in the Old Testament. In John 8, 58, he told the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. He did not say that before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I have always existed. He is the eternal I am. John 1, 3 states, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now that should help us understand. He is a shepherd who has always been around. There's nothing or anyone greater than him. And if we're going to have, as we mentioned this morning, the kind of faith to live the Christian life that we need to live, then we've got to understand and we need to understand that we have a shepherd who makes it all possible. He has always been around. The living shepherd entered the, the stream of human uh, life, human history, at the incarnation, when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, it says in John. He was uh, bone of our bones, one might say. He walked among men and experienced the dilemmas and the problems of human existence. He became involved in our trials and temptations. No one can say that he is not adequate, that he cannot sympathize. Just because he's always been around, he chose to come and become our shepherd, living shepherd. He, he was a word that became flesh. He uh, reveals God to us. And so uh, he does care. He uh, mends our broken hearts. He can wipe clouds from human skies. He can help us when we stumble. And he can comfort us when loved ones say goodbye. He can uh, console us when the home crumbles. He can inspire us when we're depressed. He can calm us when anxieties overwhelm our spirit. This living shepherd died and remained in the grave for three days, but he arose and lives to help us walk 
the kind of walk that we need to walk that we talked about this morning to be the kind of church that we need to be. He follows us and takes us through trials and tribulations and difficulties through the shadow of the valley of death. Revelation 1.18 affirms that he was alive and then death came. But he conquered the grave and he lives forever. In 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19, we're told this. He's not only a living shepherd, but he is also a loving shepherd. The love of Jesus for sheep, it's a mystery. We talked about the mysteries of God this morning and how we don't understand everything. We certainly will not understand all about the loving shepherd, but we do know that he demonstrated his love for us and that he does love us. One thing that astounded me uh, about the Lord and our Savior is his omniscience. This is, you know, here's a God who is all-knowing. And he knows everything about us. He knows everything that we do. He knows everything that we think. People that we are closest to, we may think things, we may imagine things, we may have thoughts in our mind that no one else will ever know about. And he still loves us. That is amazing. That's awesome. He knows everything about us. We have a tendency as humans to forget. We especially forget the past and the things that we do not like about ourselves. In other words, some psychologists say that we try to repress it or stow it away in the subconscious. But it doesn't really ever go away completely, does it? It creeps back up and shows its ugly face at times when we're faced with situations that will bring up those things. But Jesus knows the complete contentment or content, content, excuse me, of all of our consciousness and subconsciousness. And he still loves us. Not only that, he knows the future. And the future is unknown to us. All these mysteries, but he is conversant with every sin that we will be uh, faced with and our temptation and sin that we might uh, get in contact with every failure as we talked about earlier that we might have and and that we might uh, be faced with and and we might yield to and and every evil thought every sinful act that we are going to commit in in the future and he still loves us We've got to understand that if we're going to move on and not be uh, inhibited by what we do. We've got to move on uh, with that grace and realize that He is a loving God and He is in control. And His love is reliable. Not only is it a mystery, but it's reliable. You can trust someone who loves you that much, can't you? I mean... If somebody said that they were going to die for you no matter who, what you did and what you had done and maybe what you had done to their family, but they're, going, they're willing to die for you in your place, you would trust that person. You would feel good about that person. Well, we can certainly feel good about the Lord. You can trust Him with your yesterdays and tomorrows and, and love that deserves your best response. Your time, your personality, your abilities, your all 
Trust him with that and have that courageous trust in him. Not only is he a living shepherd and a loving 